As Andy just shared with us so well, uh, our scripture this morning continues our journey with Jacob through the book of Genesis. This morning, we're fast forwarding from where our Bible passage left off last week, nearly 20 years. It's been almost 20 years since Jacob left home, 20 years since he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright and tricked his father into giving him the blessing that should have legally and rightfully fell to the oldest son. You may remember from last week that Jacob hits the road because, not surprisingly, Esau is ready to kill him. He heads towards his uncle's home in Haran, but on the way to a place called Bethel, Jacob has a dream of a ladder stretching from heaven to earth and hears a voice speaking to him, giving him the same promises that were made to his grandfather, Abraham. When Jacob finally arrives in Haran, he works for his uncle Laban for 14 years to earn the privilege of marrying Laban's two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And there's a little more to that story that I'm glossing over that you may remember, but if you don't, you can read it on your own a little later. So Jacob works 14 years so that he can marry Leah and Rachel, and then works another six years for Laban until finally, after 20 years in exile, Jacob decides it's time to return home to make peace with his brother. This morning's scripture reading tells the story of what happens the night before they meet. Let us then hear the story from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31, as we listen for and hear God's holy word. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise, everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have, striven, I have, seen, the, God, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping, because of his hip. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. 20 years, and now two wives, two mistresses, and 11 children later, Jacob is on his way back home back to try to make amends with his brother Esau and to settle his family in the land to which God had promised that Jacob would return. When he gets to the ford of the Jabbok, which is all that stands between him and home, 
Jacob sends his family and his servants and his flocks on ahead of him across the river. He stays for the night on the other side, alone. No sooner has he caught his breath than it happens. A stranger leaps from the darkness and hurls himself on Jacob. Before he began this journey, Jacob had sent a message to his brother that he was coming home. The message he got back from Esau was that he was coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. It doesn't take 400 men to have a family reunion. So it makes sense that Jacob and we as the readers would expect the stranger to be Esau coming to exact his revenge. Except the stranger turns out not to be Esau. It's not Esau, but to this day, there's still some question about exactly who it is. Rabbinic scholars call it an angel. Jacob himself says that it was God who attacked him. Whoever or whatever it is, the original Hebrew text is clear that it's a man, an ish, as the Hebrew says. Not some spiritual struggle or internal battle, but rather a real live physical opponent fighting Jacob for all he's worth. They fall to the ground, lashing out in the darkness, each of them holding on for dear life. They wrestle each other within an inch of their lives, neither one willing to let go or to concede the victory. The fight goes on all night long, neither gaining any advantage over the other. Then, when daybreak draws near, and the sky begins to lighten, the stranger makes his move. He drops all his weight on Jacob, and Jacob's hip cracks. I've always wondered how often Jacob thought about that night. As far as we know, he limped every day for the rest of his life. I wonder if every time he felt the familiar ache in his hip, Jacob remembered that wrestling match. I wonder if he prided himself on having the limp as a kind of badge of honor, or if his grandchildren ever asked him to tell the story of that night. I've always wondered. After reading this passage on Monday morning, I began noticing this week the way people walk, especially people who limp. It occurred to me that every limp has a story behind it, an old sports injury, a war wound, a car accident, an illness, something that's changed someone's life. I remember a young woman I saw at Fort Sanders Hospital last week getting off the elevator, leaning on a walker due to what I suspect was cerebral palsy. It made me remember another time in that same hospital a few years ago when I'd gone to visit a former church member who had suffered a stroke. During that visit, I had a conversation with three people in the Patricia Neal Rehab Center. Peer counselors, I think they were called, or something like that. Each one of them had been through the rehab center themselves after they each had strokes. And then they came back to volunteer one day a week to provide some real-life flesh-and-blood encouragement. One of the peer counselors that day was a guy who had been a flight instructor, He owned his own plane and told the story that he had just come back from the beach. He was 56 years old. He woke up when his alarm clock rang the next morning, but he couldn't move his arm to turn it off. 
He thought maybe he had just slept on it funny, but it turned out that he'd had a massive stroke. Since then, he walks with a limp, and he can hardly use his left arm. His new life is not the life he once had, but he told me that day that he was so profoundly grateful to be alive that he spends his days now encouraging others and telling his story to anyone who will listen. Was the stroke a blessing? I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. But this gentleman certainly has chosen to use it for good. There's a phenomenon that mental health professionals refer to as post-traumatic growth. Not post-traumatic stress, but post-traumatic growth. People who go through something terrible and then come to report that it's made them better. Not everyone experiences this. But for those who do, faith is often one of the very welcome side effects of their trauma. Jacob must have had a very similar experience. He holds on through the night, and in the morning, he's a changed man. Let me go, the stranger exclaims. Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob knows he has a hold on something holy. He has a hold on God, he believes. And he's not about to give it up without a fight. I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob says. And then it comes. You shall no longer be called Yaakov, the stranger tells him. You will no longer be called Jacob, but Yisrael. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. You are Israel, the stranger announces. You're not Jacob anymore. You're not the double crosser, the con artist, the deceiver. Now he's Israel, the survivor. Israel, the one who has wrestled with heaven and earth and did not let go. Israel, the one who has seen God face to face. But what is the blessing? Is it the name? I don't think so. Jacob becomes Israel not in the moment God declares it so, but over the course of a night spent struggling with God. Jacob has always gotten by on his charm and his good looks and his street smarts, but in that one night, he learns that the, only th- that, that the only thing in heaven or on earth that he has to hold on to is God. The blessing is the experience, the experience of hanging on despite the cost. So consider the limp a souvenir, a reminder from whence it comes, because it's also God who blessed him. God who gives Jacob a new identity and a new start. Israel, the one who's wrestled with God and prevailed. Israel, who holds on to God for dear life, even when it feels like death. What is it that you wrestle with in the middle of the night? Is it the words of the doctor saying, there's nothing more I can do? The loved one saying, I'm leaving. The child you adore who's wracked with an emotional pain that you cannot fix. The money going out that's more than the money coming in. The world you live in coming apart at the seams. What provokes your dark night of the soul? What angel or what stranger wakes you up to wrestle in the pre-dawn darkness? Whatever it is, do not let go. Don't give up. Don't run away when you get the chance. Don't settle for easy answers. Fight back. 
Stand your ground, hold on for dear life. When the stranger's on your back, smelling of heaven and pummeling you for all he's worth, don't let anyone tell you that there's something wrong. Don't let anyone convince you that if it were really God, it would not be so scary and it certainly would not hurt. Hang on with everything that you have. Insist on a blessing to go with your wound and do not let go until you get one. Ernest Hemingway said, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are stronger in the broken places. Henry Nouwen speaks of our being wounded healers. We all know the struggle and the pain and the exhaustion. We know the wounds of life that come and leave us limping. But having endured, we are more able to be with others who are struggling. For example, if you've lost a sibling or a spouse or a child, you know exactly what to do and what to say, or perhaps more importantly, what not to say, to walk with someone else overwhelmed with that pain. If you've lost a job or a marriage, if you've failed a class or struggled with an addiction, if, you've, if the diagnosis is uncurable or the loved one is gone, you know how to stand with others who are struggling and hold on with them and for them. Wounded healers, stronger in the broken places. As the story ends, Jacob is left limping, limping down the road as the sun's first rays break over the horizon. It's a new beginning, a new dawn, a new thing that God is doing for Israel and for us. So thanks be to God for our lives, scars and all, because God is part of the scars too. And in the dawn of a new day, limp your way toward home. Amen. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Oh God, we have heard the story of Jacob as he wrestled with you how he asked you to bless him. And so we too come to you for your blessing. There are so many times in our lives in which we feel alienated, downtrodden, alone. And yet we are not, for you promise to be with us. And so encourage us to stand strong, to seek the blessings that you have provided for us to recognize the many ways that you are with us, even in the darkness, giving us strength and courage. And so be with us again, precious Lord, guide our lives. As we have brought our prayers before you for those near and dear to us, seeking healing and hope for them, let us also remember that those same mercies are lavished upon us, not because we deserve them, but because of your great and generous love for us. And so help us receive those blessings and in turn share those blessings with all around us. We recognize that there are too many people that wrestle in this life due to injustice, poverty, conflict, disease, and more. For those struggling with pain, with illness, with all those injustice, grant them relief. Grant them healing. Grant them a new story in which pain and hardship 
are not the defining matters in their lives, but you are. God, allow your hands to transform the chaos and death into something that is life-giving. Oh God, there's much to be thankful for. And we give thanks for the community of faith here at First Presbyterian that supports us and helps us grow. We cherish our church family and every person in it. We especially lift up our friend BK, son of this church, and ask that you would bless him as he moves to Wisconsin with his family there. We have been so richly blessed by him and have so many stories and memories that we will cherish forever. And so remind him that he always has a home in Knoxville with us and with the Penoyers. Remind them that he is so loved and that we are always here for him. It is so hard to say goodbye, but we know that you, O oh God, travel with BK. And so hold him safe, hear his prayers, build up his faith and heart, and allow him to love boldly all that he meets. O oh God, we pray for those that need your healing touch, for Ron Mayer, Joe Serber, and all those who are ill and in need of comfort. And we also celebrate life among our own church family, especially we celebrate Doy Barron for 91 years of life. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And now we pray that prayer he taught us to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In response to God's goodness, let us worship God through our tithes and offerings.